Um, we're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 5. Nehemiah chapter 5. This, I'm going to read a, fir- a few verses here. You don't have to stand up because we'll be jumping around here a little bit. But I'm going to start here reading so that you can see um, uh, what, what exactly is going on. And then we're going to back up a little bit into chapter 4 so that you can understand kind of what's happening here. Verse, verse 1, chapter 5, Nehemiah. And there was a great outcry of the people and their wives against their Jewish brethren. For there were those uh, who said, We, our sons, our daughters, are many. Therefore let us get grain for them that we may eat and live. There were also some who said, We have mortgaged our lands and vineyards and houses that we might buy grain of the, because of the famine. There were also those who said, We have borrowed money for the king's tax on our lands and vineyards, yet now our flesh is as the flesh of our brethren, our children as, the, as their children. And indeed, we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves, and some of our daughters are, are brought into slavery already. It is not in our power to redeem them, for other men have our lands and vineyards. And I became very angry when I heard their outcry in these words. Oftentimes when the work of the Lord gets started, anytime we do something, if you guys remember when we moved in this building, if some of you were around or knew some of that, there was quite a bit of opposition from the people who loved the pool that you're sitting on right now. Uh, well, it's all been filled in, so you don't have to worry about the ground opening up or anything. So it's good. I mean, I, I thought the pool was really kind of cool looking. It was almost unfortunate. We joked about giving people floaties. You know, and we just keep the pool and we'll go swimming after church. But anyway, we, we, we have, um, you know, we had a lot of opposition and people just saying things about us that really weren't even true. And yet they kept doing that. That kind of opposition is what they faced in chapter 4. In chapter 4 it says in verse 1, But it so happened when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall that he was furious and very indignant and mocked the Jews. And when he spoke, he attacked five things, their strength, their character, their faith, their will, and the very material, materials they were using to rebuild the walls. He said, and he spoke before the brethren and the army of, of Samaria and said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish and the stones that are burned? Now Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, Whatever they build, even if a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone. Hear, O God, hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn their reproach on their own heads and give them as plunder to a land of captivity. Do not cover their iniquity, and do not let their sin be blotted out from before you, for they have provoked you to anger before the builders. So we built the wall, and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height, For the people had a mind to work. When we came here, we had a mind to work. And we put this together the best we could with what we had, which wasn't great. And you might look at, people might look at it from the outside and say, what are you guys trying to pull off here? And really, funding was difficult. Getting enough people to do things. I mean, trying to get the vendors or the people to come in and do stuff was really tough. And some of the subs, they'd kind of show up when they felt like it. And, and things weren't getting done and all that stuff. 
that kind of stuff, I actually think that's okay. That kind of opposition, that kind of, even the guys that were going to sue us and people, we just had a guy on Mother's Day come up here and yell at one of our, par, one of our security guys because the pool was gone and his mother comes on Mother's Day to swim and now you've messed up the whole day. You guys need to, and yeah, a guy just sat there listening to him. And what he said is, I just kept praying for him. Just kept praying for him. That kind of opposition is easy. But what happens in chapter 5 is really different. What happens in chapter 5 is that the opposition becomes internal. It's like sitting here, Trent's over here, he's upset. He's not going to sit there next to Kurt because Kurt's been you know, saying stuff about him. But they're sitting in the same place. And that's what's happening right now is they're in the same place. But things are happening. The rich people are actually using the poor folks and taking advantage of them. I had the disadvantage maybe about four or five, six months ago. Someone came to me and they were hurting and they kept actually coming and asking me for help with groceries or helping me with this. And I'm going, can you tell me what's really going on here? Because this is about the fifth or sixth time that this had happened. And so I'm trying to figure out what is going on that you can't do this. And they never tell me. And I said, well, I'm not helping you again until you tell me exactly what's happening. And then I finally get down to it, I find out that they had payday loans. Now, I don't know if you know anything about payday loans. I got an education because I only see the ads. I never would ever use one. I just thought it was crazy. But I found out that there were five different loans. The original amounts in the whole loans totaled about $600. But they now owed somewhere in the neighborhood of $2,500. And there was like 230% interest on some of those notes. One of them was 302% interest. 302%. I was blown away that this was even legal. But it's legal. It's a loophole in California. If you don't pay it right on time, they can tack more things onto the top of it. I was stunned by the whole thing. This isn't quite that, but it's the same kind of thing. And the difference with this is that the folks here were struggling. The internal problems began with a, with a basic needs, which was food. You notice that there, there, in the beginning, there weren't as many people there. But as the walls are getting built, people are beginning to come in and they want to be part of this. And, and we're not, not really sure by what the story is saying, whether or not they're actually building the wall anymore. They may have just stood still because there's a famine in the land, there's a drought, things aren't happening, and people, there were the haves and the have-nots. And so in this case, the ones who have were, were loaning money and taking property as, as collateral or, and even charging interest, about 12% per year, about 1% a month. And they were doing this to their brethren. When it clearly says in Scripture that you're, they weren't allowed to do this in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, it was clear that the Lord said you were not allowed to charge interest, which is in the Old Testament a lot of times it's just called usury. But you're not allowed to, call, to charge interest to your brethren. I've taken that as a practice for myself personally with my kids or my immediate family. If I loan them money, I loan them money, and I have personally have no expectation of ever getting it back. And I, I, I mean, one of my sisters just recently gave me back money that I had loaned her, and I like, what are you doing? Serious? She said, said, yeah, I told you I'd pay you back. I'm like, you're the first one in 
35, 40 years. Are you serious? You're really paying me back? He said, yeah, and don't give it back to me. And I was just stunned by the whole thing. But here, the folks were not having enough food. They were going into debt. They're losing their lands. And then they're having to sell their children into a kind of indentured servitude. And all this was happening to other Jewish, to other Jewish brethren who were doing this to them, which is a clear violation of, of the law in Leviticus that the Lord had, had given to them. When, when opposition on the outside comes, it's easy to point over to that opposition and go after it. When it's internal, it becomes a little closer to home. And it becomes harder for us to separate um, how, you know, the relationships you might have with somebody. If I go to somebody, I, don't, I, I honestly don't like, you know, I do the finances at the church. I, I do this. But I don't really know who gives what. It's been in my brain all these years. I look at the other side where the amount is, and I don't really look at the names, and I just total it on a calculator, give it to somebody else, and they input all the things, so I don't know who gives or not. If you give, cool. If you don't, I'm still cool. I don't want to know that. In this, in this case here, these folks who had were taking advantage of those that did not have to the point of causing a dissension. Now these people couldn't even eat. They perhaps had even, the rich folks had perhaps even hoarded some of the assets and were now taking the things that the folks needed. And so Nehemiah, in verse 6, when he says, I became very angry when I heard this outcry of these words, and he says, after serious thought, I rebuked the nobles and the rulers and said to them, each of you is exacting usury from his brothers. So I called a great assembly against them. And I said to them, according to our ability, we have redeemed our Jewish brethren who were sold to the nations. Now indeed, will you even sell your brethren? Then they were silenced and found nothing to say. There are times where we see things in the midst of of our congregation or the midst of an assembly of people where you have to come out and say, this is wrong. And Nehemiah was bold. He came out and said, this is wrong. We need to do it God's way. We don't do it with anger necessarily to the point of saying, well, you're, you're just a bad person, get out. That isn't this. This is, he, he went to them and said, enough is enough. And what did they do? What did they say? They were silent. They were silent because they knew what the word of God said. It wasn't a mystery to them. They knew what the word of God said. Now, there's a saying that um, you probably heard of this as, we have met the enemy, and it is us. Um, I once bought a book. I never opened the book. Not even sure where it is, but I bought the book for one reason. I bought the book because it had a, the cover said, the, your problem is you. And there was this little guy down at the bottom with this giant shadow that was behind him. And sometimes the very problems that we find ourselves in, it's us. It's our lack of understanding of what God is saying to us. It's our lack of character to, to really do what God's word says we are to do. We simply think, well, it's okay for them, but not for me. And that's exactly what they were doing here. So when Nehemiah says to them and tells them the truth, he does it with anger, but he does it with, in love. Because their reaction shows that, he, that they knew that he was right. 
and that he was not trying to destroy them. He was trying to encourage them to follow the word of God, which is what an exhortation is when a pastor is up on a pulpit and says, you need to do this way because God's word says it. Now, now if he gets really angry about it, then you know, that's a different thing. He shouldn't do that. But if I'm proclaiming God's word to you and I do it with emphasis, I mean it for your, for your, for your blessing to encourage you, not to get you upset, or to, but to encourage you to righteousness and to do the things that God says that he wants us to do. And he says, in verse 8, when he says, And I said to them, according to our ability, we have redeemed our Jewish brethren. He's talking about those that he brought with him. They redeemed those that were in captivity and brought back to Jerusalem to help build the wall. So when he gets to verse 9, he says, Then I said, what, are, what you are doing is not good. Should you not walk in the fear of our God because of, of the reproach of the nations and our enemies? I also, with my brethren and my servants, am lending them money and grain. Please let us stop this usury. Stop charging them interest. Give them what they need to help them. Jesus simplified the, the law uh, for us. We have the benefit that they don't have. They had to remember the, not only the Ten Commandments, but 613 rules. That's a lot of stuff. And I tell you, I probably couldn't do it. I, I love Jesus because he said, you're going to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your strength, your soul. You're going you're to just love God first. Because if you can do that, once you love God, then you are capable of doing the second one, which is what? Love your neighbor as yourself. It's interesting in Ephesians uh, chapter 5 when it talks to the role of the husband, to the, to the wife. One of the things it says there when it talks about the husband supposed to love his, love his wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself. It doesn't leave it as a secret. And, he, and it says, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but instead nourishes and cherishes it. We are very much in tune with ourselves and our personal needs. And not often are we looking at the needs of others as being more important. Um, I, I shared with the Sunshiners not too long ago, my friend Jerry, who's homeless, who came to the, I hadn't seen him in 25 years or something like that. And he calls me and tells me, starts talking to me about his life and all this stuff. And I said, oh, that's too bad. That's really awful. It's terrible. Sent him a few dollars to help him out. And I thought, okay, that's the end of it. I'm done. And I'm all happy. One day he says, I'm coming to see you. You're coming where? I'm coming to Thousand Oaks. My first response was, don't do that. And he says, what, what do you mean? I said, don't do that. Don't come here. If you're homeless, this is not the place to come. And, you know, and I'm, I'm like getting a little heated about it. Because I'm thinking, he's going to try to make me feel guilty. And I'm gonna, he's going to make me bring him into the house. And, and, and I had all these things in my mind about what was going to happen. Well, he showed up. I never realized what kind of shape he was in. But when I saw him, I went, oh my. Because this was a, you know, he's like 6'2", 6'3", or something like that. He was. He's all bent over now. And he, he was a, a horse trainer. Like, you know, big horses, Clydesdale kind of things. And I've watched him work with them and do crazy stuff with them. And here's a guy pushing a wheelchair, bent over like this, barely able to move. And he's walking in Westlake Village is where he wound up. And if you see the, the difference between being in Westlake Village 
with all its trappings. And then there's this one guy with a big old heavy jacket on with a wheelchair with every possession in his life just right there. I'm like, God, really? And yet, the commandment of loving your neighbor as yourself just kept coming in my head. I still didn't want him at the house because my wife's there all day by herself and I didn't think it was proper and all that stuff. So we figured out something to do with him. I put him in a place where he had some shelter for a few days and tried to work out to get him a place. He still hadn't found a place. Hopefully he will soon. Um, But he's getting towards the end of his time and he has a fixed this and that. But just like these folks here who are in trouble here in Nehemiah, God is placing them right, th- right there in front of these other folks' face and they're missing it. And that's why Nehemiah gets angry and says to them, you need to take care of this. This is yours. This is in front of you. You need to obey God. Now, Jerry, my friend, I could only go so far to when my resources dry out to where I couldn't do much more for him giving him to homeless outreach things and see what they can do and they're trying to work and figure out what to do with him because he's not healthy, he can't really work, he needs to be somewhere we can be cared for. Whenever we have an opportunity to set before us, we pray and we ask God to give us the ability to take care of the things that he sets in front of us and he gives that to us. But he prescribes this here in Nehemiah. You can sit there and get all, I mean, in one sense, because of my reaction to Jerry, I was exactly like those nobles and the rulers who just got upset because he made me uncomfortable and I don't want to why are you come in here and I do all these things instead of realizing okay God what can I do what can I change how can I affect his life to make it different now the nobles were comfortable probably the, fam- the famine or the drought was not really affecting them so they're, they're sitting there thinking hey I'm okay while everybody else is suffering You know, there's not many of us who are rich. Not many of us have all these other things coming to us. A lot of us just get by day to day, maybe month to month. Maybe we could survive six months or a year. But God is saying to us that we need to love each other and love one another and not let things come in to divide us. I let my my just aversion to having him show up in there begin to divide me. And it actually agitated me, not just for my relationship with him, but with everything around me. It started bugging me. It started everything that I wasn't doing because I was fighting God. God, please, don't send him here to me. I don't need this. Don't you know I'm busy with the church stuff? And a lot of times you neglect what God has said in front of you. You know, there, there, some of the commentaries read on this, this particular chapter that perhaps as they were working in the ministry of building the wall, they neglected some of the, the very things of, 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 uh, of, you know, the practical things that you need to take care of. They weren't, take, they weren't looking at their food or their clothing. And, and instead of trying to you know, generate income, they were just all busy at the wall. Pastors, I mean, ministers, people in church do this all the time. I am one of those people that did it. And the reason I left a big church is because I work seven days, 24-7 is constant. Kurt remembers those days. We've been friends for a lot of years. And I was at a big church, all kinds of big things, doing this, doing that, traveling around, playing here, playing there. I'm Mr. Somebody. Well, 
we were getting ready to play, I think, at the Pacific Amphitheater. And I think there were 24, 25,000 people sitting out in the crowd, and we're getting ready to play. And one of the girls, Patty, goes to my wife and says, what's it like being married to Tony? Because, you know, I, I'm like everywhere. And I thought, what a weird question. And I said, she said, I said, what did she say? She said, it's kind of like being a single parent. I got to tell you, that's a stunner. You know, I'm, I'm counseling people struggling in their marriages. I'm encouraging people. I was teaching often all over the place, seminars, you name it, this. I'm, this, I'm the guy. And when it got right down to it, I realized that that day, I'm getting ready to go out before all these people, and all I could think about was what Patty just said, my wife said. And I look out at my wife and my two little kids that are standing out there, and they're going, I see my son, Daddy. And I'm like, gosh, I'm just lame. Because you can get so busy about the things of God or the things that are, are occupying you, whether it's your job or whether it is whatever you're doing, that you forget the things that are essential, the things that are important. And you let those things stir in you that you neglect the things that are important of what God really wants you to do. And look, the unity of the brethren is an essential part in Corinthians. Paul, from the get-go, is saying, guys, what's all this dissension about whether or not I'm of Paul or Apollos or this or whatever? Hey, you guys need to be of the same mind. When we let little things or we neglect one another and we don't look to strengthen one another or to encourage one another, which is what's happening here, when we do that in our modern church, so to speak, our modern uh, fellowship, we do the very same thing. We need to be attentive to the things around us and be able to look at a person's face and say, I need to go talk to them. I need to go pray with them. It, it's important that we... That we we spend the time doing that. Divisiveness among believers is forbidden. We're told that in 1 Corinthians eleven eighteen and 1 Corinthians 1, 10. We're told those things are important and that the unity of the brethren is essential for us. In Psalm 1, uh, uh, 133, it says how good it is for the brethren to dwell together in unity, not apart, in unity. When we were singing together, we were doing this in unity. We weren't all singing different songs. We were singing the same song to the same God to honor him. And that's part of the unity that we need to have in every aspect of our lives, not just simply the church thing, but in everything that we do, being an example of that. The exhortation to unity is essential. The complaints that they were dealing with here are... Um, are just kind of day-to-day kind of stuff. It's, it's not major. You know, it's not like they had this great big thing. But what had happened is they had lost it all. And Nehemiah says to them, basically, when he goes on, he said, restore, in verse 11, restore now to them, even this day, their lands, their vineyard, their olive groves, their houses, and also the hundredth part of the money he's, uh, and the grain, the new wine, and the oil that you have charged them. He's saying, give it all back. It's not yours. 
You should never have taken this. It's like, you know, in uh, Joshua at Ai, when, when uh, Achan had taken part of the spoils of the land and he hid it, as it were, under his carpet, you know, like nobody's going to see it except God. He hides it there thinking he's going to get away with this. This is the same kind of thing. God knows where we are. Just like when Adam and Eve were in the garden and covered themselves, they covered themselves. The covering they needed was God. Not what they were putting together, but what God is able to provide for us. And we all know we've been provided for by the blood of Jesus Christ. We've been forgiven of our sins. We have a hope of everlasting life. And we don't have to worry about what our future is. Because Jesus is our future. But he is also with us now. Never to leave us nor forsake us. And he does that by the power of his Holy Spirit. We're not sitting here alone trying to figure this out. We are sitting in the presence of the living God. Because he's with us. Never to leave us nor forsake us. If you have trusted him for your salvation, he is with you. And just in case you think I got an out here, because, well, I can't do this. You know the cool thing about God? Is he enables you to do what he asks you to do. You're not having to be the little engine that could, I think I can. Like what James says, I know I can through Jesus Christ, my Savior. I know I can through Christ. Now, I think of how that would be if the Lord, through, like through Nehemiah, says, all the money you've given, you know, all that stuff, give it back to him. You can't hold that stuff. What would we do? Um, I, I sold a lot of stuff to somebody. Probably, I don't know, two and a half, three years ago. And um, it, it just didn't work out. All the business, his business died. And I, I, don't, I don't think I'll ever see any of that. And it's several thousand dollars worth of music gear. Several thousand dollars. I, uh, and I mean, he always kids. I'm a part owner of nothing. <laughs> you know, it 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 just died. He and I are still good friends. I love him. His business failed. He's trying to pay me back. It will take twenty years for it to ever come back to me. But I'm sitting there thinking, no big deal. Because God's got this. He does. And, and God's not going to leave me somewhere without it. So, I mean, I, I'm, I have, sometimes I think, okay, God, what do you want me to do? You want me to just go tell him, forget about it? And I'm asking the Lord if that's the case. Should I just go tell him, take the stress off him and say, you know what, brother? Let's just, let's just forget about it. It's, it's over. And I'm waiting for the Lord to say yay or nay on that one. Now, I'm not trying to build something up. I mean, I'd love to have what he owes. But I don't want to stress him out. Have you ever owed money you couldn't pay? Yeah, it's not fun. There's nothing good about that. Having a collector call you and say, you know, no, he's not here. <laughs> you, know? you want to hang up and not talk to him. But the fact is, when you owe something you can't pay, there is nothing that you just feel helpless and it's miserable. 
When Nehemiah responded in anger, his anger was not sinful. It was to righteousness. It was to encourage them in such a way as to get them to do the right thing. He, um, uh, I think it was verse 7 after it says, after serious thought. I know I'm backing up a little bit. When he says, after serious thought, and I wonder how many times that we do things and we don't really give it a serious thought. We just kind of just do it because this is what we do. I've always done it this way, so that's how I'm going to do it this time. And you get into the rut of doing these things over and over and over again, and it just never works. Now, Pastor Rob has challenged me in a lot of different ways because I'm not used to what we do here as a church. I'm just not. It's just different. Dealing with the community in the sense of even the political part of it, I, it's like foreign to me. I, but even being foreign, there's a part of it I say, you know what? We've got to do something. We have to make some kind of impact. I'm not going to change the federal government, but I can do something in my community. And all I'm going to be is a witness of the work of the gospel in me. I don't have to sit there and do anything super hyper or whatever you want to call it. I just need to have the integrity that when it's time to be able to step forward and say, that's not right. I almost, I heard there was going to be a protest uh, for the new laws in the Alabama thing and all this stuff for abortion, uh, uh, the pro-choice folks down in Westlake. I ran into something and somebody called me because I was going to go down there and thought, I'd never done this before, but I was going to make my own sign. And, And one of those like, it's not a choice, it's a baby. You know, because I've watched those, I, when I go home, I don't usually take the freeway. I go on Hillcrest, and there's always those po- folks at the sign there by the, by the Planned Parenthood. And I don't do anything. I just kind of walk by. I always say, Lord, help them. But I've never done that. But I'm glad they're doing it. And, and I want to be a testimony of, of the work and the strength of God in me and what he gives me to do. So that I give serious thought to the things that the Lord has. Now, um, I, w- I, wanna, I also want to say something, and it's kind of as a side to this, because I, I wrote down that the, the prosperity of one should not be used to exploit one who is less fortunate. And I'll repeat it. The prosperity of one should not be used to exploit one who is less fortunate. Just because you have the means to do something, you don't want to exploit somebody like these payday loans do with poor people. This one person I was talking to does not have a job. They get money from the government in order to take care because they're on disability and whatever. And then this payday loan shark comes in and then charges them 200 and some odd percent interest on a loan for something. That is just plain wrong. I've written probably three letters so far and I've gotten zero response from any of our representatives um, in, in our illustrious uh, house or whatever you call it in Sacramento. And I kind of half expected that. But it's, it's not right. It ought not be legal. Now, in Acts chapter 2, some folks confuse Acts chapter 2 where they were voluntarily selling their things to help those that had less fortune. The difference, they use that to support socialism. 
But that wasn't socialism because it was, this is voluntary. They gave their stuff up for the, for the, for the well-being of the group. Just like here when Nehemiah is talking about, this is for the well-being of the entire group so that everybody could eat, that everybody had their lands to be able to grow food. You know, the, the original tithe, in, or most of the original tithe in the Old Testament was not money. It was what they were producing. It's money now because this is what we do. <laughs> you know, it's a different time. We're not growing our, our well, if some of your farmers, sorry, if you're doing that, more power to you. I buy my, my groceries at Rayleigh's or what, not Rayleigh's, that's up north. Um, one of those R stores, Ralph's or something like that. And I'm just saying, I go there, but I do buy organic because my wife forces me. But you can see I have not been good about that. <laughs> um, but in Acts 2, I love the principle there whereby we see we have a need, we see somebody has something. I've tried to use this in my life because if I have extra of something, I, I, wanna, I sometimes want to bless somebody with it just because I have it. And if it's just sitting in a closet or sitting somewhere, uh, Micah, I'm kind of pulling you out a little bit, sorry. I think it was probably a year or two ago or whatever it is, I had a guitar that was, I liked it. <laughs> It was just a cool guitar. I really liked the way it played. And I remember one time Micah played and he really liked it. And uh, he said, I really like this guitar. And we talked, and I kind of talked about selling it. I even gave him a price on the thing. And I remember after I gave him the price, I remember clearly if the Lord ever speaks to me, it was like, give him the guitar. And my first response was, no. <laughs> this thing costs money. And, and I kept the guitar for how long? A year maybe? It was a while. And, and I remember just I, often they would come to my mind, just give it to them. It's sitting in a case, in a closet, all by itself doing nothing. And I had uh, <laughs> probably, I don't know, eight other guitars. <laughs> I'm embarrassed. It's not like I didn't have. I mean, over the years, I just have acquired a lot of different gear. And I'm sitting there, and I remember we were talking about it, John and Mike and I, and, and he was talking about wanting a guitar. And I remember him saying, well, the guitar I really like was that, that one, you, you know, blah, 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 but I just don't have the money. And right then, I was like, give him the guitar. I could feel it. And I said, okay, Lord, all right. And I remember cleaning it up, going home, cleaning it up, and putting it right by the door. So when I came in and I remember, I don't remember where he was or what was happening. I remember just walking up and I said, here, I should have given it to you last year. <laughs> and I felt great. I don't even know why I was like hanging on to it. I just liked the way it sounded. But I wasn't playing it. It's so cool to see it being played and, and used for worship. And for me, I just like, this is just cool. I, I think that when we, when we exercise the second part, the second commandment that the Lord gave us is to love our neighbors as ourselves. When we do things like this, you're not sitting there worried about it. I'm not even missing it. I'm not missing anything. I get to hear it. Every time we're together, I get to hear it. You know, and I'm sitting there just going, God, you're, this is great. Because 
while it's not mine, it has always been the Lord's. It has always been the Lord's. Everything we have is his. And when we think like that and we love the Lord, and then after we love him, if we truly do that, we can do the second part by not hanging on to the stuff that we have so much or using people's poverty to enrich us in having more things. We don't need more things. Now, I think it's one other thing I'll share as scripture. Proverbs 14.31 says that to oppress the poor is a reproach of God. So we, don't, we never want to do that. We want to make sure that we're doing everything we're supposed to be doing in order to give God uh, honor in, in, in everything that we do. I want to go down to um, verse 12 because their response is to repent. They say, so, so, they, so they said, we will restore it and we will and we'll require nothing from them. We will do as you say. Then I called the priests and required an oath from them that they would do according to this promise. I think that's interesting because he, he doesn't just trust their word. He gets the priest to come and to say, now tell him that. So it's like, this, remember the priest represented before the people, God. And so to tell it to the priest is a bigger deal. So he brings the priest there, and then he does something that is cultural, because he responds in verse 13, Then I shook out the fold of my garment and said, So may God shake out each man from his house and from his property who does not perform this promise. Even, th- even thus uh, may he be shaken out and emptied. And all the congregation said, Amen. And praise the Lord. Then the people did according to this promise. Whenever we, as the people of God, do what God says, and we say amen, the response ought to be praise. It ought to be praise that we honor God with what we say and what we do. If we're not doing that, step in a little deeper. Get to the, other, to the deeper end of the pond. You know, oftentimes we, uh, we, we forget what it means to to follow the Lord and to, and to do and make sure that our witness is true. I, I think I probably will read this story. This is a book uh, called Victorious Christian Service. It's a study in Nehemiah. And this is by Alan Redpath, who is Pastor Craig's grandpa. Uh, I remember him from years ago at a pastor's conference where he spoke to us, and we're a bunch of young pastors just eager to hear from somebody, and he's sitting there, this little old man who didn't stand. He just sat in this little stool thing and just talked to us. I remember just eating everything up that he was saying. But he talked, there's this story, and he says, now this is, he's an English guy, so some of the words he uses are a little different, so hopefully you'll understand the story. He says, one time, I was preaching in the north of England, and a young lady received Christ as her Savior in an evangelistic meeting, and she came to speak to me after one of the services. I said to her, we have a young people's meeting here on Saturday. I hope you will come back. Oh, she said, I'm sorry, but I can't. I have a date. That's interesting, I said. Where is that? Well, she admitted, it's a dance. Oh, I replied, that's all right. You go, but remember that you belong to the Lord Jesus and you'll testify, won't you? And you'll speak of him. Oh, yes, she said, certainly. So on Sunday night, she was in the front row of the congregation looking a bit uncertain of herself. I thought, when the service is over, I went to speak to her. Did you enjoy the evening? 
I asked. Well, she said, not exactly. Well, tell me what happened. And, and uh, she said, you see, I was dancing last night with my partner when I suddenly remembered my promise, she said. I thought I've got to do something about this. <laughs> this is funny. She says, so I screwed up my courage. <laughs> I'm not sure what that means. I'm sure it's a British thing. She says, so I screwed up my courage and looked at this man with whom I was dancing and said, excuse me, but are you a Christian? He looked at me, she said, and replied, good heavens, no, are you? And I said, yes, I am. And do you know what he said to me? He just looked me straight in the face and said, what in God's name are you doing here? Oftentimes, we find ourselves in places where people expect us to be something that we're not. I I remember early days of Calvary Chapel. We didn't dance. We didn't go to movies. We uh, We didn't, I mean, we didn't do anything. We, we had the Ten Commandments and then we had all these other ones. And I'm telling you, they were heavy-duty stuff. You got caught, you're out. It was pretty, pretty different. Now, for me, I was kind of, kind of a goody-two-shoes, but I thought, where'd you guys get all these rules? I don't see those. And I remember I'd get chastised. You know, you better learn your manners, little boy. And I was like, gosh, guys, I'm sorry. There was nothing wrong with her being at the dance. But sometimes people have a thought of where we're supposed to be, right? Where we can be and where we can't be. I think we need to be where God wants us to be. I I have friends from high school. We were all in a Catholic seminary together. Um, And they like to get together at a pub. I'd never go there. Never go to the pub. I'm not going to sit in there. I mean, after all, I'm Pastor Tony. And, and I realized, you know, I never got a chance to talk to them, but that's where they had their thing and everything. And my wife says, why don't you go? You're all stuck up. Just go talk to them. And I was like, I don't need you to be the Holy Spirit. I need you to back off, lady. But she was right. And I went. I remember a few years ago, I went uh, to this little pub that's on Ventura Boulevard in Sherman Oaks. And I get there, and they're sitting there, and there's like, I don't believe it. Look who's here. We got a driver. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and there's like, oh, yeah, they, so they called me, they started calling me Double D for designated driver. And so they're sitting there, and they're laughing, and we're talking about high school stuff and some college stuff, because we were all kind of together through that. And we're, we're just going on and on, and I actually had a great time. Now, they were a few sheets to the wind, so to speak. But they were having a great time. And, and one of the guys is well-known. And so people were buying drinks for the table because he's an actor. And so drinks are always coming. And they'd always grab my cup and pour it into all their glasses. And it was, but it was so much fun. And I have to say this. Every time we have met, one or two of them will call me later. Hey, can we talk? They never talked to me before like that. It's all because I went to where I'm not supposed to go. I think, if anything I've had with Pastor Rob, I will say this. He has taught me to step out of my bubble Amen. and to get out into the, 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 the big part of the community. Be okay to stand there. 
I, I, in fact, I thought even with this protest down in Westlake, sometimes I just wanted to go there and stand there, maybe not with a sign, but just wait and say, watch somebody's face and say, Lord, which one do I talk to? Which one? Why not? I don't have to confront them. What I have to do is be his witness and be available and be there. Because if I'm not there, if one of us isn't there, then they're going to continue to do what they do. I'm not sure that you know, laws and people's hearts will change without, in fact, I can say it for sure, without Christ, there's no chance for a change that's going to be lasting. It'll only be a, a, moment, a moment in time that they might do something. Nehemiah was building up the walls of Jerusalem, which was the, the protection that they had from their enemies. Every one of us have a wall about us, which is God's protection upon us. And so we can step in just about anywhere. I want to be foolish about it, but we can go about anywhere knowing full well that we're here to stand for the Lord. He'll protect us. I, I, I wasn't ever a drinker, so I was never tempted to go get drunk with my buddies. Just as like, well, if they want to drink, it's fine. They also do other stuff. <laughs> it's fine. But if that gives me an opportunity to spend time with them, to share the gospel, praise God, right? That's exactly where we need to be. Now, as, we, as I read on here, I'm going to, uh, uh, at verse 14, he says, Moreover, from the time that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, from the 20th year till the 32nd year of King Artaxerxes, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the governor's provisions. And what he's saying here is that all the other governors and the people that were here before had, had the right, they could have come in and taken more things from them, but Nehemiah did not do that. He ate what everybody else ate. He lived where everybody else lived, and he worked at the wall where he needed to be. He was not above his people. He was with them. You know, and I, I was reading this thing in this book that's talking about churches and why we have elevated platforms now for the clergy, and they wear robes and all that stuff. Well, we don't have robes and all that stuff, but I said, well, we have an elevated platform so everybody can see who's talking. But they're making this big old thing out of it, and I'm like, I don't even know what they're talking about. But it's a guy who likes home churches better than, uh, than building churches. It, it, so it was just one of those weird things he said. So anyway, let's read on. He says, But the former governors who had been before me, in verse 15, laid burdens on the people and took from them bread and wine besides 40 shekels of silver. Yes, even their servants bore rule uh, over the people. But I did not do so because of the fear of God. Shame on any of us who God appoints to do a work and that we would take advantage of God's people. Any of us. It doesn't matter what we do. Every one of us is a minister of the gospel. Not just someone who stands behind a pulpit or, or plays a guitar or whatever. We are all ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're, we're, we should all be in the same place. Now, we remember that the fear of the Lord is what, in Proverbs 1-7, is the beginning of understanding. When we fear the Lord, and that's a proper understanding of who he is, it's respect, it's worship. When we have that understanding of who he is, that he is a, he is a great God, a living God, an all-powerful God, omniscient, not lacking in anything, 
That when we know that and we respond to that, then we know that we have the fear of the Lord. Indeed, it says in verse 16, I also continued to work on this wall and we did not buy any land. All my servants were gathered there for the work. Moreover, there were at my table 150 Jews and rulers besides those who came to us from the nations around us. Now that which was prepared for me daily was one ox, six choice sheep, also fowl were prepared for me, and every once every and once every ten days an abundance of all kinds of wine. Yet in spite of this, I did not demand the governor's provisions because the bondage was heavy upon this people. Remember me, my God, for good, according to all that I have done for this people. I love the way Nehemiah is constantly in prayer. From chapter one up to now, he's constantly remembering God and bringing it before the Lord and not just simply coming up with his own plan. He is, he is I, I love the, the fact that he's, it's not this long flowery, oh, omnipotent, whatever, God, blah, 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 blah. He just simply just says, like he did in chapter one or two, I, I'm not exactly sure how far it goes in uh, off the top of my head, but when he, and he says, so uh, I pray, I, said to, I prayed to the Lord and said to the king. That's his simple prayer. I pray to the Lord. He's just simply saying, Lord, help me. King, this is what I need. And the Lord gave him favor with the king and he got everything. That's how he's even here. Remember, he was the king's wine taster. He, brought the, he had to taste the wine to make sure it wouldn't kill the king. He tested his food. And if Nehemiah was still alive, then the king could eat it. That's a trusted guy. Because I mean, I'm thinking Nehemiah will take it and just kind of pretend like he swallowed it. But he was an honorable man. An honorable man which gave him favor in the sight of this king and also in the sight of God. Which is exactly what we're told as people of God as we are to study the word of God to show ourselves approved unto God and to men. We can't simply be those that just um, can answer a catechism question. We have to let the word of God be effective in us and affective, effective in how we think and affective in how we behave, which is what it says in Romans 12, 1 and 2, that there's a transformation that takes place by the word of God so that we can do what the will of God is and honor him. That transformation takes place as we daily gather from his word. And even if we can't read a lot or whatever, Romans chapter one tells us we can look out at what he's created. I actually love driving out this way and, and to go down Lynn Road. And I don't like driving on Lynn Road because it seems like it just meanders through everything and I don't want to know where everybody is there. I just want to get home. But during, the, during like the seven, eight o'clock when the sun's just ready to go down, I love looking at those hills. They're just magnificent, and I just marvel at what God has done and how he does it. It's just simply stunning. And, I, you know, there's times where the sun is kind of orange and it reflects off of the thing. It's like, wow, Lord, you're, you're just, I don't know, how did you do that? We're, we, are, we are most loved by God, most cherished by God. And we want to be those that end everything that we do and begin everything, begin what we do and end what we do by praying, by acknowledging who he is.